Good evening and welcome to episode number six of the Capital Press Club Legacy Podcast. I'm your host, Dr. Colin Campbell, and I have a special guest this episode, someone who I've known for several years, who is a veteran journalist, also the former president of the Washington Association of Black Journalists, also a coordinator for the Urban Journalism Workshop. I would like to welcome to the podcast, the CPC Legacy Podcast, Donna Walker. Thanks for joining us, Donna. Thank you. You're welcome. You're welcome, Mr. Former Vice President, I should add. <laughs> <laughs> right. That's right. Yeah, and, from, w- you know, from WABJ days. Exactly. It's so good to have you. Thank you. Good to yeah, see you. So, <laughs> thank you. Thank you. You know, you have been in the game for a bit of time. You've seen different changes. I wanted to put into perspective what it was like for you getting into the business when it was less digital, a lot less computers, no algorithms, no apps, nothing like that. What was like for you to enter into the business, which was pretty much a man's game at that time? Well, I wouldn't say it was so much a a man's game. Um, You know, I, I think when you mention all those, those tools that we have now that we didn't have uh, when I was coming in. So I didn't know what I was missing, but at the same time, I think in some ways we were um, a little more fortunate because, you know, when you went out on the story, you always had at least a photographer, and sometimes you had photographer and a sound guy uh, that came later, but you had, you could at least count on a photographer. And then when you got back, someone would be editing the footage. So, um, in that way, I feel fortunate. I think it was more of a scramble of uh, getting that first job. I think it has changed in the sense that, um, excuse me, when I left school, it was not as as easy as it is now to make the jump from, uh, first of all, school to your first job. And from your first job to a, a market like Washington, I mean, that was like, something that you looked forward to many years down the road. And now I've seen that change a little bit. And there's, there's sometimes you can start in a larger market uh, doing different jobs. So that process has become a little more accessible, you know. And where did you go to school and, and where was the first market that you worked in? Because you did, your background is in television journalism. Yes, uh, correct. I went to school at the University of Missouri, Mizzou, fondly known as the School of Journalism. And my first on-air job was at the university because they own and operate a network television station, which they still do. It's a small market of Columbia, Missouri. But I reported and anchored there, as all students did. Um, Not everyone anchored, but Everyone who went to the School of Journalism and studied broadcasting um, had to work at the station. So it was, uh, you were a student, but at the same time, you were reporting for an actual owned television station and for a, uh, a network affiliate. So it wasn't like, you know, some jobs where you're just um, doing, you know, school on some kind of school station or whatever, we were actually being broadcast to the local market. <laughs> Excuse me. Yeah, so, when you got in, 
to your position and you were making your, your way through it, you know, gaining all the experience that you needed to be a proficient journalist and to be taken seriously to build your credibility. Are you saying that it was pretty diverse between men and women, that it really wasn't some of the, the, the disproportionate percentage of men that we often hear in the journalism world, uh, not today, but in the past where men, uh, it was said that men dominated that area and, and women were largely excluded. Are you saying that at, at the time you came in, it was pretty equal? Well, I don't know if it was equal, but it wasn't such a big deal. I mean, I think that the generation before, um, I don't know, the, the, let's say the Jane Paulys, et cetera, that they had uh, opened it up. And there were a lot of women studying journalism and a lot more women, you know, working. Uh, I'd say it was still maybe, uh, I don't know, two to one men, maybe a little less. But it was, it was not quite 50-50, but still a lot of women. We didn't feel like we were out of place or we were you know, doing something that, uh, you know, women don't do. I never had that sense. That's great. That's a good feeling to have. It probably at the same time gave you a lot of confidence. You didn't feel stifled at all. And so what did your job carry you to do when you started to really gain your stride and build confidence as a journalist? Where did you go? What are some of the stories that you were able to cover? Uh, my first job out of school was at the large market of Tulsa, Oklahoma. <laughs> and I say that half jokingly because it was a medium-sized market, but that was uh, considered a, a big leap uh, at that time coming out of journalism school. Uh, most jobs were in a much smaller market. Tulsa was in the 50s. And a lot of the entry-level jobs were in, you know, very much smaller places. So um, I was able to immediately make that jump. Um, it was, uh, you know, a good good for me. And I, you know, felt I could handle it. At the same time, I had some, maybe some difficulties because there were more ex experienced journalists there. They weren't that experienced, you know, but they were more experienced than me uh, coming in you know, out of school. Um, but I was able to cover a variety of stories, as any, you know, fledgling general assignment reporter does. You know, everything from airplanes running off the runway to fires to, you know, uh, protests, you, you name it. Wow. Okay. And so now that you look at where the industry is, when we talk about a lot of the digitization, when we talk about apps and uh, algorithms and, and just really putting a lot of things online, what do you make of this transition and how do you find the pace of news today? Um, what do I make of the transition? I think there, there's a lot of positives um, because there are a lot more outlets, a lot more ways to enter the business, as I referenced earlier. Um, you know, you can get in as a one-man band if you want to do that. As, you know, backpack journalism, you can do your own shooting and, you know, reporting. Um, I think that there are a lot, obviously with online, there are a lot more outlets where you can, you know, get a head start or, you know, you can find a place to, uh, 
to have your voice heard, to make a mark. Even if you don't have a traditional job, you can find a web job or you can make your own, you know. There, there are a lot more paths to get to where you want to be. So that is positive. Um, I think, as you uh, alluded to, the pace has changed a lot. I think uh, that is uh, something that we're still coming to grips with. I think because of the change in technology that we're still in sort of a period of flux where the news is changing not the news itself so much as the way it's reported. Um, I think we haven't quite come to what we're going to do with all of this technology yet. I think we're getting there, but we're still kind of, uh, it, it's matured some, but we're still floundering around a little bit. And the danger is you don't want to lose the story or the importance of news of telling uh, keeping people informed and telling them what's going on and telling their stories. You want don't want that to get lost to what makes good pictures, what gets clicks on the web. You know that that's I think is the danger that we lose uh, some of the storytelling to you know getting carried away with being first or getting the most clicks or likes or you know web views. You know, one of the things that you, when you mention uh, the dangers of just trying to almost gamify ratings and attention to news stories, makes me think of a recent settlement or a recent decision uh, that regarded Fox News and Dominion Voting Company, where uh, Dominion was suing Fox News for uh, $1.6 billion, but I guess they settled on just over $780 million. Not a, a bad grab there. Uh, for Dominion from Fox. But one of the reasons that Fox, uh, from from the communications that were involved, it seemed like they were trying to beat Newsmax. They did not want their audience members to go over to Newsmax and other competitors because they may have been reporting news that their audience members may not have liked. And so how do we compromise the, the neoliberal journalism model where obviously it really depends on advertising dollars and eyeballs and and in some cases clicks, but also delivering real journalism that's not fabricated for the sake of placating audience and and viewers. Oh, yeah, I I think that's so true that um, now, obviously, because we have so many choices of where to watch news, viewers can, you know, pick and choose whose newscast they want to watch. And, and that seems to be, it, it seems to be feeding each other, you know, like the, the viewer has a certain outlook and they gravitate to a certain news channel. And at the same time, that channel feeds back to them more and more of what they feel that the viewer wants to hear, not necessarily what they need to hear. And I believe that, yeah, there is this niche niche journalism where you can select your channel. At the same time, I think uh, the the news outlet you somewhat train your viewers. You know, it's uh, you don't make them eat their vegetables. You can't make people eat vegetables all the time. But if you never tell them anything, they never have to have any nutritious you know uh, nutrition involved in their news then I think that's dangerous. Um, 
you know, this this settlement, I think, has pointed out some of the dangers. Like we found out it was proven what a lot of us suspected, that many of the things that came out on the air uh, were not true. And the, the network that put them out there knew, the, the newscasters knew several things and several people were not um you know, fully forthcoming or even honest on the air. So that's a danger. Yeah. You know, I never thought of news as being partially wholesome, like vegetables. <laughs> now that you put it that way, <laughs> I suppose you're right. I suppose you have a point. It can be salubrious at times, right? Have yeah. you ever felt pressured to tell a narrative that was not necessarily the truth because of uh, authoritative figures, maybe an old boss, maybe uh, pressures from uh, authority of figures or officials in the community? Um, I, I keep thinking back to, wasn't the community, I, I think uh, newsrooms have a lot of pressure, of course, to get ratings, that hasn't changed. And I'm thinking back to uh, one of my first jobs uh, in Oklahoma, where I was sent to cover many, one of the many grass fires that they had. And that was, you know, a certain time of year that was uh, an occurrence. And, you know, we had to go cover these things. So I was sent to cover uh, what was supposed to be a major grass fire. But when I got there, um, it, it was not a major fire. But they had me there and they wanted me to do a live shot and make it seem a lot more treacherous than it was. So, you know, I, I gave them the real picture and um, I don't think they were pleased with that, with my reporting because it wasn't sensational enough. So uh, I got sent to another story after that. So that was a, a lesson. You know, sometimes when you, you stand your ground, it's not always uh, to your um, betterment, <laughs> your personal betterment. <laughs> Okay, so would you have done something, now that you look back in hindsight, they always say hindsight's twenty twenty, right? Would you have done something differently? And, and if you would have, what would you have done differently? If you were accurately reporting what happened, what would you have done differently so that you wouldn't have been admonished, but at the same time stuck to your own journalistic standards? Uh, I don't think I would have done anything differently. You know, I, I felt like I was giving them an accurate picture of what was going on. That's what I'm supposed to do. And I, I, you know, you have to, uh, you know, the pictures should tell the story as much as the reporter, especially in a visual medium like television. So if I didn't have blazing fire, you know, behind me or on my screen, what was I going to do with that? I mean, you know. Yeah. Uh, so I, I don't think I would have changed it. That's, that's just not something I could do. Yeah. One of the criticisms of journalism today is that it has become too editorialized. We see a lot of commentating. Uh, we recently witnessed the departure of two major anchors from different networks, one from Fox News again, Tucker Carlson, and the other one from CNN, Don Lemon. What do you make of just the personality of news? You have people who were in favor of their departure, of being ousted out. You had others who lamented that they would not be on air in, in those respective networks anymore. 
But at the same time, we saw this transition come from very objective news where the anchor or the reporter was not the news to an age where now news is driven and viewership is driven by the personality sometimes of the commentator. Hmm. Yeah, I think that both of those um, anchors fall into what I think is more accurately considered infotainment, even though they're newscasters. Uh, they both, you know, had an evening show. Well, excuse me, Don Lemon had been recently moved to mornings, but um, I think both of them are in that kind of hybrid genre where it's it's as much entertainment as it is news. And uh, I think they, well, maybe not them personally, maybe some of both, but the network and them pushed that as far as it could go. And they got uh, ultimately... Uh, paid the price for that, not the network. You know, um, you know. I th that's that's my thought that it's it's a you have to serve the master of the the genre and its infotainment. I think that's where we are now. Yeah, you have taken on the responsibility of imparting knowledge to younger generations when it comes to the differences between news and infotainment, entertainment. You are uh, a longtime coordinator, a founder, I believe, of Urban Journalism Workshop. Uh, tell me about your role, if I'm not correct in saying that you're one of the founders. I definitely know that you're a major coordinator for it. And tell me what you do there and uh, how you got into Urban Journalism Workshop. Um, well, I did not found the Urban Journalism Workshops, uh, but I was in an early program. They started in Missouri, actually, and the University of Missouri was a, a key uh, uh, location or, or, you know, institution that started that, and they, they started a summer program, and I was involved in that. Uh, at that time, it was... Um, college students who were entering the university as such as myself and it was held on campus you know prior to your freshman year and that's when I was exposed to the uh, urban journalism workshop and George Curry was one of the leaders and he was uh, involved in the founding of the actual programs um, but the concept was the same it was you were interested in journalism they wanted to like you know throw you in the pool and, and give you a taste of what it was like even before you got into the university, sort of give you a head start. So that uh, helped me a lot. It, you know, I felt like I had a heads up. I was more prepared once I got into the actual journalism program. I wasn't as intimidated. And I felt like uh, I wanted to continue giving back, you know, I think it's so important to help bring other young people into the, you know, into the profession and get them in that way. So, you know, I, I worked with different programs before I came to Washington in uh, Dallas. And, um, excuse me, when I came to Washington, I was not the founder of that uh, television program. The Urban Journalism Workshop was already in existence, but... They did not have a television section. So uh, Joe Johns at, from CNN, a reporter, anchor, 
he reached out to, you know, some colleagues in the field, such as myself, and we got together and we started a television section uh, with the Urban Journalism Workshop under, you know, WABJ, Washington Association of Black Journalists. And um, I have continued to contribute to that ever since. And again, I think it's so important to to uh, try to increase the number of people of color in the fields of black journalists in particular. And um, yeah, I, I just think it's very important to give back to young people and help them along. I believe in journalism education and starting, you know, in high school, especially they have an interest. How long have you been a part of the program, Donna? Um, this program, I, since the 90s. Okay. Yeah. Yeah. This, all right. Mm -hmm. And how does it work? These are these are all high school students, right? And how are they selected to be in UJW? They have to apply. Mm -hmm. uh, they have to send, excuse me, they have to um, fill out the application, obviously, and they have to do a couple of essays. Um, what, you know, current topics in journalism or what, why it's important, why journalism is, a, is important in other different subjects that we come up with. And they have to get, uh, they have to supply references from their teachers or whomever. So they have to put forth some effort to show that they are serious about this and to, um, to demonstrate, you know, some initiative um, to get into the program. And then once they are uh, selected, as you know, Colin, because you've been involved as well, we put them through sort of a boot camp of journalism training. You know, we we treat the students as if they're in our newsroom and they're producing a newscast for us. And we, you know, assign them to stories, which they input as, you know, they have input on what they do as well. But yeah, we treat them like, you know, this is our newscast. you got to come back with your portion of it. And, you know, we, we guide them along the way. But it's a very much uh, immersive, uh, hands-on program. Yeah, you are really a leader uh, in this program. And you've been a leader at WABJ, as, as I've mentioned. What do you find important about being a leader in the journalism community in Washington, D.C., metro area? Because it's not just D.C., there are people who have come from Maryland and Virginia to be a part of either WABJ or UJW. What do you find to be the most significant about being a leader in this industry? Oh, wow. Uh, <laughs> I, I feel like I've always been involved in... Um, and these type, well, I should say these type, but some sort of organization all the way back to high school. And that wasn't necessarily journalistic, but um, yeah, I mean, I've just continued that service. I think it's important to have a, a group that, you know, is dedicated to, um, I don't want to say serving the needs, but uh, it, it's an interactive thing, but to um, assisting the members, to representing the members. Of course, the Washington chapter is a is a branch of the National Association of Black Journalists, which is historic. And the Washington chapter is amongst the 
founding is one of the founding chapters. It's not the founding, but it's one of the um, original chapters. So yeah, they started around the same time. NABJ and and WABJ started around the same time, right? Yeah, in Philly, I think Philly was actually uh, the Philadelphia chapter was actually the first, but you know it was like tip for tap because they were actually kind of working together. But um, that was those were the two chapters that were the National Association of Black Journalists when it first began. And it went up to New York, you know, from there. But, um, yeah, I mean, I, obviously that was formed because there was a need to, you know, represent black journalists. And the same thing we do in the workshop to promote uh, more black journalists coming into the field to help them uh, as a group, like we represent them, fight their causes when we can. But, um, yeah, just to have that presence, I think, is very important. And, you know, as a leader, I feel like I could do my part and bring my experience in, in working with those types of groups and, um, you know, helping it survive and continue. And, you know, I feel like that's my contribution, you know, to keep it going. <laughs> Right, right. Yeah. And this is a uh, WABJ and NABJ, I want to say, started around the mid 70s. It's either what is it, 74, 75, something like that. We lost uh, a member of uh, WABJ and a person who was really instrumental in UJW over the past several years, uh, Corey Rose. And, and could you tell us a little bit what about what Corey was like as a member of UJW and working with with these students? Yeah, uh, Corey, I feel a, more of a personal connection to Corey because he was a UJW student, but he was also a TV um, TV student, and he was actually in one of the classes that I directed uh, in the TV program. He was in one of those early classes. Um, so I saw him come in. Um, he was always... He was always very excited, very, you know, interested. Uh, he had enthusiasm. It was infectious. Uh, other people knew, you know, that he was very, very interested. Uh, he was, it, it, he, as he progressed, you know, obviously he was in high school, but as he progressed through college and beyond and began working in his, in the field, he came back and he, he gave back, you know, to the workshop itself. You know, he was always there to help out. You know, if he was working in D.C. or in the area, he would always be there. You didn't have to even um, really ask him. He was there volunteering. Um, he was such a bright light. And um, he didn't care what role he played in journalism, he was like, as I said, behind the scenes, um, you know, running the prompter, producing, editing. It didn't matter to him. He was just so enthused to be a part of the process and to do his part to continue, you know, the mission. So, um, you know, that was a big loss. I, I think he represents the best of our, our program. Yeah, yeah, he did. He definitely did. Mm -hmm. I want to change gears a little bit and talk to you about trust in journalism. Mm 
we we've talked about how the the pace has changed how delivery has changed a little bit obviously but one of the other major factors that a lot of consumers are looking at is trust in media which has seemingly eroded uh, quite a bit over the past several years why do you think this has happened and is there any way to swing viewers back the other way where they have more trust and confidence in news storytellers Yeah, um, I think it's a function of, you know, several things. I think that obviously we were just talking about the um, different, there's so many different choices now that you can pick your news cast of choice, your station of choice. You don't have to um, just, you know, take whatever you're fed. And that in itself, as, as we just witnessed from the, Fox trial that has, you know, engendered um, lack of truth. Um, I also think because there are more outlets that there's more competition to stand out. So that causes some people, some journalists to uh, lean toward the sensational to get attention. And, you know, there's also the the coziness, maybe too much coziness between uh, journalists, some journalists, and politicians. And we see that a lot in D.C. But, you know, when those those relationships are not handled well or abused, I think um, they contribute to the loss of trust from the public. And they just think, oh, they're all, you know, they're all corrupt. You can't believe anybody, which is an exaggeration, but that's you you get painted with that brush when that happens and what can we do to turn that around i think um you know i think it ebbs and flows to i i mean i think the public will come back to trust journalism more and as i mentioned now we're in this weird period where everybody calls himself a journalist i mean if you have a camera and you're taking some pictures standing on the street corner, you can call yourself a journalist. And a lot of people do. But that is not, you know, that's not a journalist because it's not vetted information. It's not verified. It's not proven. Um, I think there's still a very important place for journalists. And I think when the public, as this uh, technology matures and the public understands more that they can't trust everything that's put in front of them. You know, we're, we're trying to push media literacy to help people to d- differentiate, you know, what's, what's just, you know, pictures or what's just uh, anything, everything that comes out and media is not necessarily journalism or news um, or everything that's shown to be news is not necessarily journalism. So anyway, I think as people, uh, again, try to find, try to get more verification of what they're reading. I think there's, they still come back to the proven outlets. And I think that trust will improve, you know, it may not ever be what it used to be, but it, I think it will get better. 
I hope so too, Donna. I really do. It may take a while, like you said, but I hope it does reach that point where people really have more faith in journalists and not just the bloggers or the commentators and are able to make that differentiation. I hope so too, you know, and I I hope that the, um, again, I hope that this whole technology, um, that it matures to the point where people, you know, don't, don't just look at everything. They, that maybe that's happening now. Maybe they're starting to see that, but uh, yeah, I, I just hope that that happens, that we don't have to work so hard to show people what is really journalism. Right. What the truth is and what's not and what's journalism and what's just someone's opinion put on camera, right? Well, thank you so much, Donna. I really appreciate the time that you took to join us here at the CPC Legacy podcast. And I will see you in the classroom in the (laughs) near future. Thank you, Colin. You're very welcome.